Hi, everybody. Will here with this week's interview chair. Special treat for you. A long time. I mean, long time. I've known this lady my whole life, Barbara Heckerman. You'll enjoy this. Hi, everybody. Will here with this week's interview chair. This week we have my lifelong friend I've known since I was a little boy. Barbara, mm-hmm. how are you, Barbara? I'm fine, Will. <laughs> I actually, my first English cocker that I fell in love with was yours. Do you remember that? Well, there you go. I've been lucky in the breed. I've had a lot of nice <laughs> ones. Yeah. Uh, Trumpets Friday's child. Yep, Timmy. Timmy, yep. Yeah, he was a but, nice little cocker. Yeah, Very typey. I fell in love with him when I was a little boy, and that's made me yeah. want to get English cockers. Yeah. yeah. Well, you went to a good source with Root, with uh, Ann Eldridge. Yeah, I'm sure with him. A lot of fun, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. So you're well? Well, getting there. <laughs> I've, had, I've had kind of a rough spate the last two uh-huh. years health-wise. But okay, I didn't know that. I'm somewhat mobile. Oh, Me and my walker, we go everywhere. Well, I know I saw you. The, I saw a picture of eating English cocker specialties this weekend in Michigan. So, yeah, I knew you were here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging out on the fringe. I said, oh. Thank God for Facebook. I can keep track of all my friends. <laughs> there you go. All right. First question. Yes. Tell me how you got started in this sport of dogs. Well, my mother wanted poodles, and so we had a few, not any terribly good ones, learned the hard way. What year was this? How old were you, Barbara? Oh, I don't know. Hmm? I don't know. I was probably 14 or 15. All right. That's close enough. Okay. Yeah. Since I'm now 70, that goes back a while. (laughs) (laughs) A long while. But anyway, then she sort of got disenchanted with poodles and all the folder all involved and people selling mediocre dogs as show dogs. So she moved on to an interest in Dobermans. And we got our first dogs from Pat and Judy Denier, Toledo wow. here in town. Yeah. And then that got to be a bit much size-wise for us to deal with. So she went down to Minpins, and that was the first breed that I showed and finished and got a group on. So I was hooked. Now, how old were you when you first started showing dogs in? Probably 1964, 63. Okay. Long time. All right, so where did we go from there? Well... I got intrigued showing the mint pin with other breeds in the toy group, and I I really was attracted to silky terriers. Unfortunately, the ones that were around our area um, had very sharp temperaments, shall we say. They were cute little dogs, but when the owner handler, who was a professional, would bend over to try and pick one up, they'd come up the lead snapping at him. Yikes. Not the best promotion for them. No. And then at a show up in Michigan, I, as usual, went over to watch them because there was a few entered. And Lou DeRoster from Bell River, Ontario, was there with his Bonnie and Chieftain, his son, uh, Gabby, and a little bitch. And he says, can you help me? And I said, well, one question. Do yours bite? 
<laughs> at which point he looked at me askance, took me over to his car and put two of them in my arms and proceeded to wash my face. I said, I want one. <laughs> I really like the breed. And that began a good long friendship and co-breeding and learning. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, a lot more than that, Barbara. We saw all the cockers and all the showing. Oh, I know. Well, as I sort of got older and started showing more, I had cocker friends that asked me to show for them. Jess and Carolyn Pfeiffer down in Leesburg, Virginia. They were the Truppence people. And I special Truppence Friday's child for them. The little blue blue dog that you like. And that was about 1976, 77, right? Okay, so it was a while after I got started with the Silkies. But I had Marksman, my blue roan English cocker, Soho Marksman of Windcrest, which I co-bred from a litter with Lane Clark, which was Soho Kennels down in Virginia. And he was my pick puppy out of the litter. And we had Jean Glasson, who was Maple Lawn Kennels, evaluate the litter for Lynn. And she hated him. I thought, well, I like him. So she picked out two puppies to go to Lynn, a really pretty little black and white bitch, and a big, ugly, sloppy, blue round dog that's eyes sort of bled at you when you looked at him. Oh, yeah. But he was sound and big. And I thought, yeah, so. <laughs> and so one of them got him. She says, what is this? And I said, well, it was Jean's choice. So she wouldn't have been mine. And she saw pictures of the rest of the four that I had left in the litter. And she says, what about that light blue dog? I said, he was my pick. She says, can you keep my name on him? And I said, yeah, I can do that. And I was still in juniors at that point, so I was like 16. And uh, he did a fair amount of winning with me on him and was a beautiful dog as far as structure. He could have had a little prettier head, but dead sound and so willing and just a really super little dog to have. And he ended up producing 25 American champions and just with moderate use. And it opened the door to a lot of other people and a lot of other dogs. And then I sort of branched out into Springers and a lot of other toy breeds and hounds. So well, you're, you're, you're sort of grazing over some of this stuff on me. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear all that. I do. That's why we're here. Like like Lynn, like, like Lynn Clark. I, I actually had dogs from Lynn Clark as well. I had uh-huh. a couple of three Soho dogs when I was a kid. Yeah. Like I'd like to know all these people probably had something to do with you and Cockers. Well, Lynn was always interested in around the ring and a lot of region drive in her dogs and she forgave a-frame fronts which i learned to detest having to crank them into position all the time right. but they used them and i told her one day i said you know i want a dunelm type cocker with soho movement and she looked at me and she said that's very hard to do i said i know but that's what i want and i think that's when you start learning to make breeding choices Mm-hmm. and make the best of the lines you're working with. And I love the Soho dogs. I still do. I mean, they offered a lot, very cockery type. And she kept basically two types within her kennel. She started with on time, which sometimes tended to be a little racier, more leg, more angle. And 
she had another side from on time, which were little solid type English type cockers, very moderate, big fronts and big rib cages. And I thought, why can't you get the running gear on that type? You know, and that's been sort of my lifelong endeavor in doing whatever I've done in the breed as far as my own breeding, which is limited. But I still, I have a picture in my mind's eye of what I want a cocker to look like. And I've taken that over to the few times I've judged. And I, I try to think that they fit the standard. I'm sort of a bug about the word of the standard and anything I look at. Well, yeah, you kind of need to be. Well, so you, I think you, you, were, you were handling dogs a lot, though, when I, when I started to know you. Right. I, I knew you, again, back when you had Timmy. And so yeah. that was, I would think that was late 70s. Because you know, he was, a, yeah. Was he late he 70s? Been, well, he would have been after I was, had retired marksman quite a while. So, yeah. you know, I was just starting out. And I never really tried for a handler's license in AKC. And I'm really sniping here. But I saw too many people that were licensed that I didn't think took care of their dogs or did the right things with them. And I've never been one to join the games involved in the sport. I don't like them. I don't think it does the, the fancy any favors. So, you know, I'm kind of a stick in the mud from that standpoint. That's, that's why I we just, love you, Barbara. <laughs> I just like good dogs. I don't care where they come from or who has them. You know, if it fills my eye for what I've learned about breeds, that's what I try and, and reward in my own mind. I love watching a collection of any breed yeah. and finding a middle ground. I think it's, it's learning all the time. When did you start showing for Eugene? Uh, the first dog I showed for him was a dog called Witterson's Bongo. And that was after he'd been in the country two or three years. Dick Becker had the dog originally and Dick couldn't Becker. get majors on him because he was a little lower to the ground, beautifully put together, beautiful shoulder and upper arm, but a little long and a little bit low. And he was the sire of one of my favorite cockers, Witterson's Emblem who was a little red dog, Eugene came up to me at a national. He says, would you consider showing my dogs? And Emblem was probably six and a half months old. Jesse Dyke, who was Dycroft Kennels, did the uh, sweepstakes that year. I think it was in upstate New York somewhere. And I really was taken with this little red dog. It's a little cocker package, beautiful extension in front, and sound as a dollar coming and going, top line like a rock. And I thought that's a cocker package, and that still fills my eye. I and still know. I'm pretty sure. I think I watched you go back and show with him. It was either him or was it? What was his call name? Topper. Who was Oscar? Oscar was an English import that followed Topper. He brought him in after he was a breed winner at Crofts. Okay. And he I had watched the Nigel give you a best show with one of them. I can't remember which one. Yeah, up a thousand island. That was uh, that was Oscar. Was it okay? Yep, yep. That picture hangs in my living room. I know he, was a, he was a beautiful dog. I mean, the quality just oozed out of him. He had some physical things that weren't necessarily 100% perfect, but he was beautiful. Yeah. 
I mean, probably one of my favorite memories was showing him at the Baltimore Kennel Club and Tantz Lettinen from Norway or Sweden was judging the breed. And he was a very important person in Europe judging cockers. And his wife was very involved with them. He came down the line of specials and he stopped dead when he got to Oscar looked at him and walked over and bent down and touched him on the nose, just ran his hand on his muzzle, looked at me and said, thank you, turned back, went down and continued the rest of the line. And I just thought, well, that was neat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Kind of going out on a limb, what if he fell over? <laughs> you know? But he gave him a beautiful breed out there. And years later, gave me a Canadian national cocker specialty with a great-grandson. So what and was Oscar's full name? Was Bryansbrook High Society. High Society, okay. Yeah. And people that bred him, Brian and Brenda Fosbrook, were lovely people. Eugene was nice enough to take me over to the UK a couple of times, and I got to meet them and saw Oscar's mother. And, you know, it was really a nice, nice educational thing to do. We visited several top kennels, and it was really an education. Over there, I think the families of cockers were each positive in their own regards, like the Lacranza dogs, the Misburn dogs, the Quetadine dogs. All those produced top animals. And the smart breeder, which they were, all of them, used each other's dogs, not necessarily to incorporate everything, but to touch on and bring in the qualities they offer. Anymore, so few people maintain a kennel, a family of dogs that aren't outcrossed here, outcrossed there, outcrossed here. And it's like, you know, they want to touch on the quality and they want it, but then what they do with the next generation isn't always good or it doesn't always pan out. I don't know. That's interesting. I think, I think that's true in all breeds. I was surprised when I did a seminar for the Michigan Sporting Dogs a few years ago and the flat coat gentleman, Doug Windsor, mm -hmm. came up as I was talking to a couple of other people. And he says, you know, I've never heard that term breeding into a family of dogs. And I looked at him and I thought, isn't that just the common denominator yeah. in everything? It kind of took me yeah. aback. And I made him a decent judge watching him, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Well, that's true, because you do, like, I, I've talked to different people, obviously, and they'll talk about breeding into this family, or they like this family. They always use that term. It's, it's uh, right. Well, that to me is, is what you do it for. If you're breeding, you make a family of dogs that give you overall the qualities that to you make you the breed. There's always a front you could fix or an angle of shoulder or maybe a stronger thigh muscle or something. And if you can go to a family that has maintained that in their base stock so you can feel comfortable of hopefully picking up those characteristics you're going out to and bring it back into your own family. And sometimes it takes a couple generations to make it all come together. True. Or more. Yep. So you, you, how long did you show for Eugene for? Eugene Forever. Forever. <laughs> I have a very bad time frame reference on things. <laughs> I specialed several dogs for him. The last one I had, not that I didn't campaign because they ended up pulling my glute muscles in both legs, um, 
was an English dog, Quetta Dean Copperglow, who was a top cocker in England for several years. And uh, his breeder was a lovely lady. And she agreed to lease him to Eugene because he wanted to use him, but he also wanted to show him in this country for what he felt was a really good cocker. I don't think I've ever seen that dog. Hmm. It was a brief career because I hurt myself showing him and I couldn't show him anymore. (laughs) Yeah. He went best to opposite a national under Sandy Olson with uh, Cindy Hassler showing him. Okay, Cindy. And then he went back. You know, after his time was done here, but he was a beautiful dog. Very cockery, big ribs, pretty head. So did you, did you I, stop showing dogs at that point professionally? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I showed lightly a few years after that, but I just got to the point where my motor skills were deteriorating and I couldn't run. So, you know, I had both my knees done and my surgeon said, what do you want to get out of this? I said, I want to be able to walk at least and show my silkies. I have no illusions of sailing around rings anymore. And he says, well, you'll be able to do that. I said, okay. And I went after that and I thought my cane isn't working anymore. So now I have a walker. And I thought there's obviously no way I'm going to get back in the ring and do this. You know, I, I judged the Cocker National in the States in 2015, I think. And that was wonderful. Yeah. I quite enjoyed doing that. That was a nice entry and some lovely dogs. And I was quite happy with that. Did you have aspirations to judge? <laughs> Long involved story. That's okay. When I started, <laughs> well, I decided that when I was not able to show and I gathered all my stuff to fill out for AKC and all the dogs I'd finished and all the dogs I'd bred. And I sent myself into such a fit of depression because I thought these dogs, most of them are dead. And so were my clients. And I just, I thought, I don't care. I can't do this. I can't keep going on this. And it really hit me. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't, didn't stop the interest. And then with all the, hoops that the AKC was putting on potential judges and the political scene that was involved in that, I thought, I have never liked a brown nose. I will not go through the right hoops. I will not go to the right cocktail parties. That's not me. I just love the dogs Mm -hmm. and I like good ones. So I don't need to judge. That's such a shame because you've lost out on so many Potential great judges because of those hoops and the time involved, and it's it's and, and it's not it's not getting better. I mean, the more people I talk to, the more people are soured on the whole thing, and that's sad. I, yeah. That is sad. It's taken the joy out of doing it. I still love the specialties. The last few years, the last dogs that I showed for Eugene, or anybody else for that matter, if it was what I felt a really good quality animal. I didn't show it week in, week out to finish it. I saved it for specialties. And there we were lucky enough to show to breeder judges. And yeah. that, that's the list we usually came up with as a parent club. And those are opinions that I value. Mm-hmm. And they did well, so. So it's 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 disheartening because I, I I was talking to a friend, a mutual friend of ours, but I won't say their name because I don't want to get them in any kind of hot water. But, I'll go ahead. No, <laughs> but they were talking about 
applying to judging. And I think they already had some reads and they applied and the, the council kind of said, well, they needed more. And they said, well, I've given you 50 years. What more do you want? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They treat everybody the same. And not that I think it should be a special award or a gift, because there's a lot of people that have been involved a long time that are kind of clueless and they're nice people. I said, yeah. I always had two lists. I had a dinner list made up of judges that I would like having dinner with and enjoy them. But would I send them to buy a dog for me? Ah, uh, no. Right. Yeah, I remember being in a show one time, and I, that goes through my head of the panel of judges. Which one of these would you just would you choose to buy a dog for you? And I came up with the ring steward, which was Scott McNair. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Scotty, you do a good job. Yeah, he'd buy no. me a good dog. <laughs> and I thoroughly enjoyed my time in Canada when I was living up there and working for Dick Mean. He has some beautiful dogs. Yes, and... we have talked about that. That's good. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> You're right over it, didn't I? Yeah. Some of my best friends that I made were up in Canada, and I still feel that way. They're family. Well, that's how I got to know you. I got to know you through the talkers. And I think Mr. Burke had a dog, too, that you sold him. Mm-hmm. He looked like a white tick dog. Michael, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to take him and wander around the dog show with him. But you knew <laughs> yeah. him. So. Yeah, Sonny. Or not Sonny, no. Michael. Michael Re- was his name. Yeah, it could be. He was a little light blue dog. And after I sold him to Bill, he got me on a good day when I just wanted to get rid of all my dogs because I had so many there at the farm. And I thought, you know, he had a chance to go out and be a show dog with someone that had the breed and liked the breed. Yeah. Be gone. Have a nice life. And he and did. He did. Good life. And he yeah. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bill kept saying, I don't know how you could have sold me that dog. I said, I've often wondered that myself. But he ended <laughs> up in a good spot. He was a lovely dog. Yeah. yeah nice little cocker. Yeah. So we'll uh, go back to Dick. I'm sorry. He can jump. That's okay. Memory lane. Yeah. No, Dick asked me to come up, and he had bought an old English sheepdog. What from year was that? Can you tell me? I don't me? know. You oh. keep asking me years. I don't know, Will. It's the deep, dark recesses of my tiny mind. <laughs> he and John bought an old English dog from a client of Jerry Edwards, and he was a handsome dog, big dog. Always kept in full coat. Well, he would not breed a bitch. He didn't think that was nice. He wouldn't do that. So Dick never showed him, and that was the end of that. But they thought I had an interest in Old English, which I like a good one. Like, I like a good one of anything, but do I want them? No. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up keeping two or three in cloak there for John. And, you know, I was interested in the board, so I had always loved the breed to look at. And they were nice to deal with. They yeah. were a very interesting breed. And just, you know, it just wasn't for me. 75 dogs in an unheated barn was not my idea of a good time after a couple of years. How long were you there for? A couple Three of years, years, I think. Years. Two or three. Yeah. But made a lot of good friends. Had a lot of fun. Learned a lot. I'm sure, yeah. Um, I remember seeing you with the boards as well, so. Yeah. Now, where did we go from there after after you left? Oh, I I worked for Jim Lehman, who was a Chihuahua handler for a long time. And I really grew to like that breed a lot. They're tough little dogs, and they're really sweet. 
And a lot of good ones went through Jim's hands because he was sort of Mr. Chihuahua down here in the States. So I, I got a good, good working knowledge of them and a lot of other toy breeds. I mean, I've, if I like a breed, I've enjoyed having them. I mean, I had a really good poolie for Diane um, Gibson up in Minnesota that she got from a top breeder. The breeder took him back and got him in cords. Pebble Tree A. Aldosh, I always remember him. Nicest mind. Talk about a good herding guard-type dog. You'd be walking him at the hotel, and someone would come out of a room down the way, and Dosh would walk over very quietly and stand between you and this person that was way down the laneway. And he never moved, and he never growled. But if they walked towards you, that dog grew two inches and just stared at them. And I had a friend named Nancy McGarvey, who you probably knew. Yes, that had of course. Her She's an older uh, and poolies. She had poolies. Yeah. Yeah, well, she went and managed a poolie kennel out in California her last few years. But she helped me a lot on conditioning the coat and the cords and everything. And I was telling her about Dasha's technique of getting between people. And she says, yes, and if they come up directly to you, he would have been on their shoulders. You never would have heard a growl. He'd just pin them. So that's the nature of the breed. They're very smart and very much tuned into their surroundings. And either way, I had a lot of respect for that. So that was kind of a fun breed to explore. I love all the names you bring up. Nancy McGarvey. Yeah. Said, I haven't thought about Nancy in years, but you know, she taught me how to build a top line and an angle on our center. Uh-huh. She had good hands. Uh, she's a clever girl. I really like Nancy a lot. She's a good friend. I spent a lot so of time with her, so I got to day. see them both. So. Yeah, she came over at one show. I was there and one of my red puppies, I think by Oscar. And I, my little pet, she's, I'd like a pet that quality. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nice, isn't it? I said, you know, that just proves the point. We always show our good dogs to each other. We don't really care what the judge thinks. As long as our friends approve of them, we, accept, we sort of like their opinion. So. Allison and I went to the Florida circuit with Garrett and we followed Nancy down with Garrett followed Nancy and her truck. Oh my God, the two of them <laughs> and to close your eyes sometimes while driving. <laughs> yes, but uh, Garrett was a gem too. Yeah. Really miss him. So, Over the years, tell me, tell me the people that have made a, have been almost like mentors to you in the sport. Well, we've covered quite a few already. Yeah. Um, Someone that I've always been fascinated with his judging and his humor, although I don't know him, is Wayne Cavanaugh. Yeah. I think he is so bright. And his don't article, tell him this. Oh, my God. I'm not going to let him watch this now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never really made a friend of him. I mean, in passing, that was about it. I showed to him, I think, only once. I know but him pretty I, well. <laughs> what? I know him pretty well. Oh, there you go. No, I know you had done a podcast with him, but no, he's the person that I always enjoyed his take on things. Yeah. You know, and just really good. Um, I learn I something know. every week from him. We talk every week. I learn something every week from Wayne. Yeah. He did an article. Basically, it wasn't a poem, but it was almost set up that way about 
old judges that are famous and well thought of and their takes on the breed. And he went through the sporting group and Alva would have cringed at this one. <laughs> and I thought, it's wonderful. And I can never find it again to save it. Well, I'm going to remind him of that. See, but he, he's, he's hard because he writes these things. He wrote this one called A Dog Named Red. And I had more impact on me than him because I remembered it forever. He forgot some of the words, so I started filling in the words and we rewrote it. I always said in this, this whole sport, you remember the eccentric judges, whether they were good ones or not, but you enjoyed them. And you would remember the people that spiked your interest in breeds and taught you. I, I hung on the side of a ring up in God Meadowbrook, New Jersey. It was a racetrack of all places. And there was a huge entry of Welch Springers. And I was watching them because we never got that many out our way. I only saw one or two. And I'd read the standard and I was standing and watching and Laddie Carswell came over, Candy's father. He yeah. says, what are you doing watching these? And I said, trying to learn. Well, he gave me a tutorial on Welch's that still sticks in my mind. And those, to me, are the gems of it. Sitting yeah. ringside at Warrington, Virginia with Bobby Braithwaite, and he's talking about cockers. And he launches into a tirade about having this liver dog, liver-roan dog that he had at Mrs. Dodge's. And he took him up to the handler because he worked in the kennels there. That's that long ago. And showed him to him, and he said, well, I'll take him out. And he said, he butchered its coat. All my hands stripping, he cut it off. He butchered it. I went to Mrs. Dodge, and I said, you give that fool another one of my dogs, and I quit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do we know who it was? No. Okay. I, I have no idea. I'm not naming names, but I just thought he was so put off by the way the man butchered the coat. Yeah. And I thought, you know... And I mean, I've thought about it long and hard with all the current tendency in English cockers to peel them down into schnauzer jackets with the dust ruffle. Yeah. I don't like that. I mean, I know how to do it, but I won't. And my solids, I always took great pleasure in pulling down by hand. That's why my hands all crippled. But having the top coat have a length to it and shiny. And once you get them pulled down, you don't have to do the scut work well, every exactly, week, right? <laughs> you know. Once they're and, in condition, it's hard. It's easy to keep them in condition. Easier. Yeah. So. Yeah. The initial pull down can be torturous, right. but you know, if you wait till the coat's ready to move, it's it's fine. I got guilted into hand stripping dogs when I was about fourteen or fifteen by one Mister L. Garrett Lambert because I was trimming something, yes. and he walked by me and he said, "Hack away, William," and then. I went over to him and he showed me how I should be doing it. <laughs> well, I walked up on Garrett at the show in Michigan while he was peeling out the undercoat on a Cavalier before they got recognized fully here. <laughs> and I said, why are you doing that? You're using a knife. Don't you want to hand pull it? Dead coat has to come out. Who's his answer? And I said, but don't you want to pull it out? Dead coat has to come out. He's wailing away with his knife on him. And I think, I'm not going to ask you again. But he just had the best time throwing that in my face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So I another question for you then. It could be because you, we spoke a little, we touched on this earlier why you didn't um, become licensed. What advice would you give if somebody young came to you and said they wanted to be a professional dog handler and you couldn't talk out of it? <laughs> what advice would you give them? 
Well, keep your medical in place, your insurance, because you will have parts that have to be replaced if you do it right. Your knees are going to be gone. Your hands are going to be gone. And eventually your mind will leave as well. (laughs) These are good selling points. Exactly. (laughs) Have a good vehicle that's well-made and in good condition because you're going to put thousands of miles on it. And it's just, you know, have good clients. Don't make friends of them all. Keep in business in a lot of cases, but make friends of the ones that you'll treasure for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And that's good. (laughs) So, (laughs) Do you have any advice for people that want to judge if you can't talk them out of it? (laughs) Well, no. I think people that have something to offer should take a stab at it, whether it starts at your breeds, own, your own breeds, sweepstakes judging or something, get your feet wet in it because it's real easy and we're all guilty of it is ringside judging. Mm-hmm. And I know some judges feel they don't have to examine a dog totally. They can do it just by their eye. And yes, you'll find a dog that suits your eye. But you still have to know how it's made. Mm-hmm. There was a cocker bitch that did a lot of winning, and I really liked her. And then I got my hands on her, and I said, oh, (laughs) okay, never mind. And just move along. And you just sort of put that in your card file, which is what I call, you know, whatever's left in my mind. And I try and log in what I've seen and what I've felt. And it's interesting, you know. I, I put up for winner's dog at the American National, kind of a plain red and white dog that had a beautiful play of shoulder and upper arm with a big prowy front piece and depth of body with proper flattening for his elbows. And just going over him, he was textbook. He wasn't fancy. He wasn't stylish particularly. Two of my least favorite words in cockers. You can have style by an arch of a neck (laughs) and a carriage. It doesn't have to be exaggerated. Right. I'm losing your your, your focus. Yeah, there we go. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm talking and tipping my phone. I'm not used to doing this. From that TV show, I could say. Well, that's okay. (laughs) The best way. I always wanted a fence to peer over. Um, No, I think that when you get an animal like that, if you're basing your own involvement in breeding, you find basics. And once they start being distorted through all the caricature breeding and the fruit salad pedigrees and that, and you're trying to find dogs you feel would be worthy of putting into a gene pool, you reward them. And unfortunately, I think in judging, you have today entries that don't ever come close to that. They're not bad dogs, but they're not really positive in their virtues. They're just sort of like bits and pieces. And if you can do it as a judge and be diplomatic and not hurt people's feelings when you tell them their child is ugly, you know, it's it's a hard thing to do, but you have to master it. Mm-hmm. I had, We were sitting ringside at the Heart of Michigan specialty, and a woman came up to Marissa Clark, who had judged the first day specialty. And this woman went on, and what didn't you like about my dog? I thought, oh, here we go. And she nicely told her, well, I obviously like the other one better. She said, but I can't remember why I made that decision. I just did on time I had in the ring with it. 
Well, a woman wouldn't let it go. <laughs> and she's on and on. And then she embarked on her other breed when she found out that Marissa was licensed for working dogs and just sort of beat on her. And it was like, God, woman, you know, it's just not done. And I think as a judge, you have to be prepared for that kind of mentality oh, that's true. brought to you. And that's sad because no one really wants to learn. They want to teach you why their dog was better. Well, you paid for my opinion. My opinion was the other one stood in front of yours, you know. Doesn't mean we were was awful or I wouldn't like it on another day, but today the other one was better. You have to have courage of your convictions when you judge. And if you don't, don't do it. That's right. And you keep learning as you go on. I mean, you talk to people, you talk to people in the breed. And as I say, I've always been a dog junkie. So I've always talked to people that have the breed and talked to the ones that I thought were the good ones, whether they ended up at the top of the line or not, to find out if I was right in my interpretation of what I was supposed to be seeing and what I was seeing. And it's like a challenging game all the time. You never stop learning about dogs and stop learning about breeds. And breed histories. And I think a lot of people don't bother with that part. Why are they what they are? Right. Uh, you should have judged, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> they might roll me up to a ring someday and let me point. But, you know. No, <laughs> no I, I love dogs. And I love good ones. I love some of the heads on the beagles that you've shown. Those faces. Uh, and the packaging and top lines and just their ease of going. And I think you'd like that, too, or you wouldn't have them. You wouldn't be showing those. Uh, it's amazing when I think about all the people that influenced me. And you are one of those people. You had that part of, of my beginning where I got where I would see you all the time. And I mm -hmm. always went to watch you. I always went to watch you show dogs. So. Well, I'm going to say something to you, which will probably hurt your feelings. But uh -oh. one of my fondest memories of you is Alan Chambers and I went up to Sault Ste. Marie for shows decades ago. It's when you were a child. Uh-oh. And... Sorry, I dropped you. My hand's getting up. <laughs> As we were driving back all those long hours, we're sort of noticing the countryside and whatnot. And he made some comment. And what I heard was William's growing. <laughs> I said, yeah, it's gotten taller. <laughs> and he says, what are you talking about? I said, well, Alexander, he says, I'm talking about the trilliums growing over there. By that tree. They're really coming up. <laughs> Mind shift. <laughs> We've laughed about that. Trillions oh. are growing. <laughs> I loved you forever, Will. You're just part of that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, well. Okay. Well, okay, one more question. Yes. If you were to meet the 20 year old Barbara right now, is there any advice you'd give Barbara? Go back to school and do something that you could make a living at and enjoy this in perspective. Because if you make it your whole life and suddenly you can't do it anymore, it's pretty devastating. Yeah. You know? That's and I'll cool. never stop loving good dogs or going and watching them and putting my hands on them. That's just me. I got a new silky puppy this year, even though Jan says, we don't need another dog. We're downsizing. I want to move to Florida. <laughs> and 
I felt so much. I could much hear that in her voice when you said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can hear it in my voice, really. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but my silkies have dwindled into ancient and on their way out the last probably the last 10 years, I had a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 12-year-old, and they've been dying off. And I had fallen in love with this litter of puppies that a lady up in Saskatchewan was raising, and she kept doing clips on, you know, on Facebook, and I'm thinking, God, that's a pretty litter. And I liked the dog, Sire Peggy Beisel, giving him a puppy group and came back and told me how wonderful this puppy was. She hoped she was right because she said, it looks like something you could have bred. And I thought, oh, I hope it is. And I liked that dog so much. He had a good mother. And I approached her at the National in October. Wait, was it October? It was just this last June. Okay, in June, we drove 14 hours to Oklahoma City. Jan says, we can make it. I said, okay, fine. And I saw her adult dog and a couple of her younger ones, and I said, if you would consider placing one of your two bitches in that litter with me, I would love to have her. And I said, I really, if you want to take her back and breed her, that's fine. I just want a young one coming up. These mine are all dying off. And I would be devastated if I didn't have any. I mean, the silkies have turned out to be my heart. I love the cockers, but as far as living with and dealing with, I prefer the mind, the silkies, their brightness, their toughness, but they're still sweet. And I want to live with that. So she nicely sent me a bitch from the litter. And I love her. She's wonderful. She is she has the funniest temperament. She is tough as nails, and then she melts. And I thought, I can live with this for a long time. And that'll be my last dog, probably. Well, never know. <laughs> no, I pretty much do. <laughs> Let me see Jan. I know what? she's there. <laughs> Hi, Jan. <laughs> it's good to see you. <laughs> good to see you, too. Yeah, thank God for Jan, or I wouldn't be here. I mean, I've really had some weird health things going on the last couple of years. So, well, I'm so glad you gave me this time. Oh, uh, I'm glad you nudged me into it because I didn't know what it was going to be or what it was going to take, or if you just let me rattle. No, I, I, oh my God, you brought back so many memories. It was so great. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I love you. So, I love you too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no. I've just been so pleased at your success with what you've done. I couldn't be prouder. Okay, stop. Thanks. Well, got such a healthy glow all of a sudden. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get back to Jan and what you guys were doing. And thank you so much for doing this for me. Well, you're more than welcome. Told you. Thanks, Barbara. It was so good seeing you and hearing all those stories. So many memories came flooding back. Uh, if you like what you're seeing here, make sure you press the like, share, and subscribe button. And if you want to find out what's happening in Will's world, go to willalexander.net. Any messages, send to dogshowtips at gmail.com. Take care, guys. Till next time.